You're listening to a sermon preached at First Baptist Church in Farwell, Texas. We are committed to loving God, loving people, and going into the world to share the gospel. We pray you find this message both challenging and encouraging. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 as we continue in our series of the history of the church. God's Word, by God's power, through God's church, He sends us on His mission. Let me say that again. God's Word, by God's power, through God's church, sends us on our mission. And this morning, we are, we are going to look at a portion of text Saw or Acts chapter 8 that gives us a very important shift in the history of the church. At this point, the church has been birthed in Jerusalem. Uh, the, the body of believers at this point is, is several thousand. Um, but they have just been in Jerusalem proper. The shift now is they are going to be sent out uh, to unknown places. They're going to be sent out to places that they would not have normally gone on their own. God has a way of sending us out. He has called us to go. And we see here in the text where God's Word Powered by God, through His church, He sends us on our mission, and we see it here in the text. Before we dive too deep into this, I want to say thank you so much for praying for me yesterday as I preached a uh, a funeral message for a family who lost their uh, their 12-year-old little boy. Um, uh, what What an incredible opportunity to share the truth of God's Word. I want to ask you to continue Uh, to pray for that family. But I could feel your prayers. I could feel uh, the peace of God as I was able to stand up and share uh, with them. Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Now it starts a little odd because it's, um, it's right in the middle of the story of Stephen uh, being killed if you if we was to back up a little bit from a couple of weeks ago we would see that Stephen was stoned to death and there was a man there a young man by the name of Saul who we will later in chapter 9 we'll find out uh, about Saul and how his name was changed to Paul but we pick it up eight chapter 8 verse 1 Saul agreed with putting him him being Stephen To death. That is a light way of saying Saul applauded Stephen's death. Saul delighted and was fully satisfied in the death of Stephen, that that believer in Jesus Christ. It says there in verse 1 Saul agreed with putting him to death. On that day, on this day that persecution really reached a maximum. On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. These are all the believers. And all except the apostles were scattered. They were dispersed throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. 
Devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Now please don't miss the contrast here. You have major persecution going on against the body of believers. This this new sect, if you will. This new group of people that will be called Christians. Major persecution. Stephen is killed. A group of devout men bury Stephen. And then look at verse 3. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. That is the... The kindest word that Luke could give us, Luke being the author of Acts, that is the the most kind word that Luke could give us to explain what Saul was doing. Saul was literally going into the churches, arresting people who proclaimed Jesus as Messiah, torturing them, some even being killed. And it says he was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. Again, Saul took pleasure in persecuting the believers. He loved it. He thought that was his call by God to silence this new group of people who were proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah. Look at verse 4. So those who were scattered, these, this new group of people, those who were dispersed, went on their way, underline this word, preaching the Word. Now that's not what we might think of today. Maybe what I'm doing, standing up here on a stage behind a, a, a pulpit, preaching. It's not exactly that, and I'll explain that here in just a moment. But those, this is, this is that new body of believers, these new God-fears, these new people who believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Every single one of them have been, they've, they've been dispersed, and they are all preaching the Gospel. Verse 5. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and he proclaimed the Messiah to them. The crowds were all paying attention to what Philip said as they listened and saw the signs he was performing. For unclean spirits crying out with loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. Look at verse 8. So there was great joy in the city. There was great joy in the city. So, so Luke gives us this snapshot of a timeline that was, that was possibly six months of a year in the making, but the end result was there was joy in the city. I love that phrase. There was joy. It's short. Verse 8, there was joy in the city that city why was it because this new group of christians have have moved to town no not necessarily it is because this new group of people came preaching came sharing came evangelizing the samaritans with the gospel As they moved in, they began to share with their neighbors. They began to share with people that they were working with. They began to share the good news of Jesus Christ with those who they were spending their free time with. Gospel conversations. This is literally what it was. Gospel conversations took place and people came to faith in Jesus Christ. 
You see, we look at that and we'd say, man, we're free from that because I'm not a preacher. But that's not what it's talking about. Literally, gospel conversations are taking place. Just jump down real quick to verse 12. If, I'm not sure I have this one on the screen, but if you brought your Bible, then you, you'll see it. Verse 12, but when they believed Philip, remember Philip was one of the ones who went and proclaimed the gospel. As he proclaimed the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. They believed that Jesus Christ was the Messiah because people left their comfort zone. They were pushed out because of persecution and they had gospel conversations and there was great joy in the city. Now, let's talk about that phrase, preaching the Word. What would that have looked like in that time? Think about it. There, there is no church per se. There, there, there is no unified body in Samaria of Christians. It is not like, hey, on Sunday, let's all get together and let's have church and one of us will preach the gospel. That's not what was going on. This isn't standing behind the pulpit, opening up the Bible and doing what we do today. This isn't a group of trained Samaritans or, or theologians. This is a group of people who at best have only been saved for about two years. Here's the answer. What would preaching look, have looked like? Then, they were having gospel conversations with unbelieving Samaritans as they went about their day. Simple gospel conversations. They were saying, man, listen, we have heard about this man named Jesus. We have believed in this man named Jesus. You, you have studied the Scripture, Samaritans, and you know about this promised Messiah. We have heard about Him. We have believed in Him. He has come, and He has been verified by the, by the miracles that He is the Messiah. And they're begging them to believe that he, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. They're having gospel conversations as they go about their day. They are saying that this Messiah, He died for them, that He shed His blood to cleanse them from, from all of their sins, that it was His blood, not, not a lamb's blood, that there is one sacrifice made that, that, that covers all of their sacrifices, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that Jesus is the way to God the Father. This is the conversations that they are having. The believers who have been pushed out of Jerusalem because of persecution, Here's the phrase I want you to remember. We're hope dealers. The Samaritans had no hope. Just as those in Jerusalem had no hope. The Samaritans had no hope. And here's this new group of people, these soon-to-be-called Christians. The name wasn't even around yet. These followers of Christ. These God-fearers. These hope dealers and they are in a pagan city of Samaria and this was God's plan this was God's plan do you remember in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 turn over there real quick real quickly Acts chapter 8 listen to what 
Listen to what God says, and he's specifically talking to uh, the, the 12 apostles, and this is how we can know that he is also talking to us because we're looking at second-generation believers here in the text. Look at what, God say, or what Jesus says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and we saw that happen in, in Acts chapter 2. And you will be my witnesses. You will be my hope dealers. You will be my evangelizers. Where? In Jerusalem. And they did that. But watch what else. In all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This was God's plan all along. Here they were being persecuted in Jerusalem. The persecution reached an extreme and they were pushed out to the place where God was sending them. Picture this group because we're not careful. We will think of this group as a group of people who are sent, emboldened, empowered, and they have their Bibles under their arm and they're just running you know, towards the crowd. Picture this group of believers. They're running, but they're on the run from Saul. Picture this group who are praying for protection. They're praying for boldness. They're praying for courage. They're, they're, they're praying that God would protect them as they're gathering up their possessions and they're running to a neighbor who literally hates them. Samaritans and Jews did not like one another. And here's these new believers, Jews, Christians, moving into Samaria. Samaria. They're running from one persecution into a neighborhood that does not like them. But yet they're faithful to have gospel conversations, to be hope dealers. Listen, persecution didn't silence them. Difficult times, listen to this, difficult times didn't exhaust all of their energies to where their energy was just self-preservation. Sometimes I believe that's where we're at as Christians, that we are so exhausted from life that, that we come to Scripture, that we come to church just, just needing self-preservation. But difficult times didn't exhaust them of all of that. They were proclaiming the hope that can be found in Jesus Christ. That was their conversation. There is hope in Jesus Christ. And that's, a, that's an odd word, isn't it? Because when we think of hope, we think of hope so. We think of, man, I... I it's a, like a wish. Like, well, I, I hope this happens. I hope this is, is true. That's not biblical hope. Biblical hope is not hope so, but hope. Write this down. Hope is an unshakable confidence in the promises and the trustworthiness of God. Hope is an unshakable confidence in the promises and the trustworthiness of God. God has placed in our community, God has placed us in our communities, in our places of work, 
in the places where we uh, have our hobbies, our, our recreation, God has placed us in those places to be hope dealers. And as we are hope dealers, we are not there to answer every why question. Why questions come. In all reality, why questions have been happening since the very beginning of time. And we don't have all of the answers to the whys that people can throw our way. Our task is to be hope dealers in the midst of all the why questions. Think about it from the very beginning. In Exodus chapter 5, verse 22, Moses asked the why question of God. In Judges chapter 6, verse 13, Gideon asks the why question of God. Even Jesus Himself, as He was on the cross, my God, my God, why have You forsaken me? Even Jesus asks the why question. Listen, God didn't answer Moses. God didn't answer Gideon. He didn't answer His one and only Son. Yet today, we can see the why in each one of those situations. It's true. God never answered Moses' why question. But He did answer Moses with hope. And the hope to Moses was, I will always be with you. It's true, God didn't answer the why question to Gideon. But He did answer with hope. He told Gideon, I will be with you always. God never answered Jesus' why question, but we know that on the third day, God raised Jesus from the dead so that you and I can have eternal life. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. You will be saved. Listen, God doesn't answer Jesus with the why question, but He does answer our why question with hope. You can be saved. You can have eternity with me in heaven because of what Jesus went through. Oh, and here's some good news. Some more good news. God accepts me. He accepts you just as you are but He refuses to leave you there. Isn't that good news? God accepts us just as we are, but He refuses... Oh, listen to the hope that He refuses. He takes us as we are, but He refuses to leave us there. So we are called the history of the church. If we are going to continue to be faithful, And we are called to be hope dealers. Listen, if your citizenship is in heaven, then you are called to be a hope dealer. What does that look like? Well, if hope is an unshakable confidence in the promises and the trustworthiness of God, then a hope dealer is helping people see He is trustworthy. A hope dealer is helping people see that they can trust in the promises of God. That they can have an unshakable confidence in who God is. That He will do what He says He 
will do. So here's a question I want you to, to wrestle with this morning. Does your life portray a level of trust in God even during adverse times that would make you a credible hope dealer? Let me say that again. Does your life portray a level of trust in God even during difficult times that would make you a credible hope dealer. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Kim and I um, had to go buy a washer and dryer. We really only needed a washer, but you can't just buy a washer, can you? They got to match. And because they match, when you guys come to our house, you will get to see our washer and dryer because we're very proud of them. Um, we had to buy this washer and dryer. And um, it's been several years since we bought a washer and dryer. So I didn't, know, I didn't know what all was out there, what all was on the market until I started searching and asking people. And people gave us suggestions. And so we go to several little places and we end up at Lowe's and we're looking. And we quickly, because of price, narrowed our choices down to three different washers and dryers and that was just ba- like it's like price okay that puts us over here all right so once we got to that level uh it was you know we didn't really know anything else it was just you know the brand i think you know this is a good brand it fits our our budget and then this uh this like seven-year-old girl comes up with a name tag uh that said employee um and, and, and I really didn't want to lose my man card and ask her, like, which one of these are good, but I did swallow my pride, and she was about, she wasn't seven, she was about 19. And so I, I said, um, so which of these are the best? Like, out of these three, like, what's the difference, and which one do you think we should get? And, and she told us she was very, very knowledgeable, which I was very proud of, but I was still a little embarrassed. Here's my wife, and I'm asking this young girl, like, I should know this. I probably should have already done all my research. I should know about washing and dryers, but I don't. And so I just kind of swallowed my pride, and I'm asking this girl. And she told us about this one, and she told us about this one, and then she told us about this one, and she said, I have this one. I was like, oh, really? Do you, the credibility of this one automatically rose to the top. I was interested to see what she thought about this one. She goes, I have this one. I've had it now for about two years, and I absolutely love it. And she said, my husband, and I thought, I didn't think you'd get married when you're seven. No, I'm just kidding. My husband, like, packs this thing with filthy, dirty clothes from his work, and they come clean, and it works great. And she gave us these rave reviews. Now, I'm trusting that she was honest. But the cred- guess which one we bought? That one. Because the credibility from this young lady of using it, of trusting it, of having confidence in it, sold us on that one so the question does your life portray a level of trust in god even during adverse times 
that would make you a credible hope dealer. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 46. Psalms chapter 46 is a gospel conversation. It is a conversation that we can take with us. That maybe there's some in here this morning that you need the message. You need to trust the truth of Psalms 46. There's others in here that you, you trust the message of Psalm 46, but, but you don't know how to have gospel conversations. This is a great gospel conversation. Verses 1-7 through seven of Psalm 46 gives us six powerful promises we can claim always, but especially when storms arise. Especially when we have somebody that we are working with or somebody that we are spending free time with or somebody in our neighborhood, this is a conversation that we can have and we can share these six powerful promises of God that, I, that will breathe hope into a situation. Look at them. Psalm chapter 46, verse 1. Listen to these promises. God is our refuge he is our refuge he is our place of protection that's what it means to be a refuge God is our refuge as children of God as believers in Jesus Christ God is our place of protection follow that out it says God is our strength when we are weak, when we're, when we're facing a situation that we, that we have no ability to overcome, listen, we, we don't lean on our own strength. We don't lean on our own ability. We lean on God's. God is our strength. It doesn't stop there. It goes on. God is our helper. I love this next one. God can always be found. In other words, He never fades. God never gets exhausted with us coming to Him, crying out to Him in our struggles. God never fades. He never ignores the phone call. He never turns and goes the other direction when He sees us coming. He can always be found. Now skip down to verse 7. God, the Lord of armies, is with us. The Lord, the leader of all armies, He is all-powerful. He is with us. God of Jacob is our stronghold. Now, I wonder, do you, do you read this? Do you hear this being proclaimed? And you go, well, that's nice. It's kind of, okay. I, 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 I hope not. The psalmist is making a bold declaration in verse 2. Look at what he says in verse 2. Because of these promises, we will not, that's what it means by therefore, we will not be afraid. Listen, there are people all around us in our community, the places that we work at, who are fearful about tomorrow. 
literally fearful about tomorrow. Anxiety is high. Worry is out the roof. Concern. They are fearful of tomorrow. And because of these promises, the psalmist says, therefore, because of this, we will not be afraid. And then the last part of verse 2 and the rest of 3. It gives us these disastrous. And, and I believe the psalmist is going to these extremes to show us how much we can trust in God. He's given these disastrous, end-of-the-world type events. He, he's about to show us, even through these disasters, even if disaster was to strike our family, even if disaster was to, to strike our community, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to fail. Look at verses 2 and 3. Therefore, because of the promises of God, we will not be afraid. In the CSB it says, though. You can even translate that, even though. Even though the earth trembles, we will not be afraid. Why? Because of the promises of God, who God is. And even though the mountains topple into the depths of the sea, we will not be afraid. Verse 3, again, you could translate that even though. Even though its waters roar and foams and the mountains quake in its turmoil, we will not be afraid. That's what the psalmist is saying. Even though, three times, even though these things come at us, we will not be afraid. Do you see how we can be a hope dealer by proclaiming the promises of God, having unshakable confidence in who God is, and having unshakable confidence in the trustworthiness of God because of who God is, not because of who I am, not because of my abilities, but because of who God is and because of His abilities. I will not be afraid. What a powerful gift that God has given us to be a hope dealer, to have gospel conversations like this. To be able to say to somebody, what turmoil are you going through? What storm is in your life causing you fear? Causing you worry? Causing you to have the anxiety? We can ask the question that what are you currently trusting in as your strength to go through this tumultual period? What are you currently trusting in? Where are you getting your help? In regards to your turmoil, who or what is always there or promises to be there? Here's what you'll find out when you ask those questions and you begin to have gospel conversation. No one promises to be there. That's the problem. Listen, God promises to always be there. God promises that He can always be found. The hope that we can give to say, God is always with us is a powerful gift. And I believe this is the hope that we see in Acts chapter, in Acts chapter 8 that they are sharing. I believe these are the type of gospel conversations drawing people's attention back to God and His Son, Jesus Christ. 
I think the question that we can ask people is this. Are you, are you chasing a, an escape? Are you looking for an escape? Or are you hiding in a refuge? Listen, fear comes, anxiety comes, worry can be all-consuming when we settle for a moment of escape. And that's where most people are at in our world today. Most people just want a moment. Give me a, give me a moment of peace. Calgon, take me away. Just a, just a moment, just a little slice of peace. Listen, refuge. Remember this, refuge is always greater than escape. God is our refuge. An escape is temporary. An escape fades. It fizzles away. It wears off. Listen, a true refuge will give security and its strength will never fade. The feeling you help when you get from an escape, it wears off, it subsides quickly. And the lack of peace or the fear from the turmoil returns. And oftentimes, listen, the, the fear is even greater than it was at the very first. The escape just masks the turmoil which caused more damage in the end. And we must. Church, listen. Our history is that we are hope dealers. And we need, we must, we must say yes to God and say, God, I will be a hope dealer where you plant me. In my job, in my neighborhood, in my family, in all of the hobbies and the businesses that you allow me to, to frequent, God, I will be a hope dealer. How can you know if God is really your refuge? We look at Acts chapter 8. Under severe persecution, this new group of people rose up. Under severe persecution, they were pushed out. And even in severe persecution, they continued to proclaim Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God the Father except through Him. <clears throat> so how do we know if we're settling for escape instead of refuge? Follow the example of our forefathers. Not just in Acts, but all throughout history. That even if the turmoil doesn't go away or subside, I can honestly say, I will not be afraid. God is always with me. God can always be found. God is stronger than anything that is coming against me. I want you to think about this last little question here. What if, just what if, think, just <clears throat> allow this thought to just kind of marinate in your mind. What if, God is allowing you to go through what you are going through at this very moment to make you a credible hope dealer. Could it be that the first century Christians, 
The persecution that they faced in Jerusalem gave them strength to be credible hope dealers in Samaria. In Judea. All around the world. What if God is allowing you to go through what you're going through so that you can be a credible hope dealer? Is it worth it? Yes, a million times. Thank you for listening to this sermon. If you'd like more information about our church or have any questions regarding the sermon you just heard, we would love to hear from you. You can visit our website at www.fbcfarwell.org or send an email to info at fbcfarwell.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching FBC Farwell. It is our prayer that the sermon you listened to was equally challenging and edifying to your walk with Christ. Thank you again for listening and have a blessed week.